Chapter Four of God Goes to Murderers Row by Reverend M. Raymond, O.C.S.O. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sentence to Birth. Dinner over and a few calls on the sick maid, Father Donnelly hurried to his car, turned it down the drive, and headed for Fayette County Jail. Signs of preparation for Armistice Day along the main streets set the priest thinking that it was something of a crime to celebrate such a day when most of the world was at war. But soon he shrugged his shoulders and summoned some of that buoyancy which keeps mankind facing life, even though death be crowding in from all sides. He was himself by the time he locked his car. He turned and trotted up the dozen stone steps of the old building. The jailer was in his office and greeted the priest warmly. I suppose it's Penny you want, uh, father? Well, step into the visitor's room. I'll have him down in a minute. Sorry to be such a bother, Mr. Veal. Of course I could talk to Tom up in his cell, but... No bother at all, father. You're instructing Tom, aren't you? Well, the visitor's room is the place to do it. Too many eyes, ears, and tongues up above. Baxter and Anderson are up there now, you know. So I've heard. Tom promised to introduce me some day. Soon the prisoner appeared, accompanied by a guard. He nodded to the jailer. Thank you, Mr. Veal. Then, thank you, Roger, he said to the guard who locked them in. In a flash, he turned to the priest, grasped his hand, and said, Father George, I've got a hundred and one questions to ask you. I know all the prayers you gave me, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed. I know all the acts of faith, hope, love, and contrition, and I've made up my own act of thanksgiving. I say them a hundred times a day. But let's get down to the other business, huh? You're in a rush today, Tom. What's on your mind? That next article in the Creed, Father, the one you told me to study. From thence shall come to judge the living and the dead. Well, what about it? We're still talking about Jesus, aren't we? When we say he? That's right. Then it's true that he'll be our judge. Uh-huh. Now, let me see if I've got this straight. The God who is going to judge me is the same Jesus Christ who pardoned Dismas, the good thief, and promised him paradise the very same day. That's your judge, Tom, and every man's. Penny got up from his chair, and as he paced the room, he murmured, It seems too good to be true. What do you mean, Tom? asked the priest quietly and kindly. Tom turned, threw out both hands in a gesture of triumph, and exclaimed, Why, Father, is a cinch! Jesus Christ, the one you told me brought the kid back to life and gave him to the widowed mother, the Jesus who wouldn't allow the Jews to stone the woman taken in adultery, the Jesus who took care of that streetwalker, what's her name? Mary Magdalene? That's the one. The Jesus who protected and defended her against that gang at the banquet, remember? Uh-huh. He's going to be my judge? Why, Father, I'm ready to die now. Look, I'm going to trial soon. I'll stand before a man who doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. There'll be lawyers there, smart guys. They'll trip me up with clever questions, then turn and twist my answers until black seems white and white seems black. There'll be twelve good men and true there, huh? And those twelve mugs, who don't know me from Adam, will listen to a lot of tripe some mouthpiece will spout, 
and to the oratory of a prosecuting attorney who has his eye on a political position and his finger on the pulse of the mob these mugs i say will pass judgment on me they'll send me to the chair father they'll take my life for what for a crime i did not commit but tom oh i know i know the law says i'm guilty morally i've talked it over with my lawyers i know how the charge will read and how the trial will go i even know the verdict and the sentence but father don't you see why i'm happy to have jesus christ as my final judge he knows everything you told me he is god i believe you i believe him and i'm happy to know he'll be my judge father donnelly's lips parted in a slow smile but his heart was pounding he seemed to feel god's grace pulsing in this room with its two solitary chairs and its iron grated door for the hundredth time since he had met tom penny he said within himself o oh god how wonderful are thy ways but to the bright-eyed prisoner whose enthusiasm and joy had transformed his hard raw-boned face into something of beauty he said you've got it tom you've got the truth from the right angle but i wonder if you've seen it from every angle the jesus who is to judge you does know all our every thought word and deed from the moment we began to be from the day we began to think and do from the hour we first went off the beam down to the latest sin you'd make a good lawyer father george yes i've thought of all that but it is that very angle that gives me confidence see father it's just as if jesus was looking into my mind the night we were at the country club he knows how much and how little he knows absolutely no murder was in that mind but tom weren't there days when you had close to murder in your heart and after all you did intend to rob the club and you actually carried out that intention sure i did listen father don't get me wrong and don't let me get you wrong didn't you tell me this dismas guy this thief who died next to christ was a pretty bad egg from all we know tom he must have been the romans were putting him to death and on the cross he admitted the sentence was just then he was really guilty of a capital crime i take it so then don't you see why i feel so free what did jesus say to him what do you mean this day thou shalt be with me in paradise ah oh, father if all you've told me about jesus is true if all i've read is fact i'm sold i may be dumb but i'm not so dumb as not to see that god is merciful that was the first prayer the sisters taught me my jesus mercy isn't that something like what this dismiss said to christ on the cross yes it is but tom most people fear the judgment then they don't know god or else i'm crazy see if i have it straight father god became a baby for me huh that's what we mean by born of the virgin mary exactly it's god though the baby in the cave in the crib at bethlehem it's god he grows he does wonderful things cures the deaf the blind the lame cleanses lepers the poor guy at the pool you know uh-huh and that old man they let down through the roof he raised the dead the little kid of the widowed mother 
the twelve-year-old daughter of the ruler and lazarus what a job that was this same man took care of those women i spoke about you know the one taken in adultery and that street-walker he died on a cross after promising dismiss a bum like me paradise and after praying for the very brutes who murdered him he's to be my judge eh and you tell me people fear him plenty there's something wrong somewhere father either i've missed something or people are a lot worse than i think they are why do they fear the priest hesitated to throw cold water on this heated enthusiasm yet he wanted his people to know the full truth and see the entire picture so he reminded him of hell he told him that this same christ from whose hands and lips mercy had dripped was also the one who had hurled thunderbolts of woes against scribes and pharisees the jesus who wept over jerusalem was the same god who allowed it to be destroyed the jesus who prayed for the jews as he hung on the cross was the same god who permitted the overthrow of that nation and set them wandering over the face of the globe he was a merciful jesus but he was also a just god a deep frown cut into the forehead of the prisoner as he followed every word of the priest with burning intentness father george spoke at length on god's justice and ended his exposition with there is a hell tom and some souls go there for god must be just if he will be god the prisoner's frown did not lift nor did the light of puzzlement fade from his eyes but his voice was quiet and held overtones of firm conviction as he said that doesn't scare me father it gives me hope it actually gives me joy it was just this justice that you talk about that gave me so much confidence i want to be tried by a just judge by one who knows everything but tom you know you've done some very wrong things more than i can count father more than i want to count but think of that dismissed guy what did he do but plead for mercy and get it i can do the same so can everyone else with any brains and if all you and the sisters have told me is true then god's very justice will force him to be merciful if i throw myself in the mercy of the court here in lexington what will i get the chair but with god ah oh, no father you can't fool me maybe it's heresy as you say or blasphemy but i still feel that his justice will make him merciful how about it father donnelly's mind was groping in his memory where had he heard or read something just like that before was it from fulton sheen no it was further back and more authoritative st augustine maybe sounded like him was it in the breviary somewhere someone had said something just like this prisoner had said god's justice will make him merciful he looked closely at tom penny tom he said slowly and tapped the prisoner's knee i won't call it either heresy or blasphemy i'll call it the truest statement of truth i've ever heard where did you get it it stands to reason father or maybe it was something i picked up from the sisters in their short visits they teach me much more than they ever realize sister robert ann told me of the prodigal son he made a comeback or rather he had guts enough to walk back 
and his father was all father wasn't he he forgave the little tramp everything wined him dined him turned on the music sister told me god is just like that he is our father isn't that the way we begin the lord's prayer our father sister mary laurentia told me of the good shepherd and the good samaritan i hope i'm not all wet but this article of the creed which you say scares people is the one that has given me most joy father george had come prepared to cover this one article and expected a rather difficult time he had conjured up a situation where he would have to stress the mercy of god without slighting his justice in order to reassure the prisoner now he found the tables turned and was forced to stress the justice without slighting the mercy he did so but tom surprised him again with the statement that god's justice would force him to be merciful the priest looked at his watch it was nearly five o'clock how speedily this hour and a half had flown he sat back with his thumbs in his vest pocket okay tom study the next article i'll be here thursday or friday now how about introducing me to bob and baxter tom penny's face changed the light that had danced in his eyes as he talked of christ and judgment faded even his voice changed bob's not ready yet father i'll bring him to you when he's set trust me two weeks later when the last article in the creed had been covered tom said i'm sending bob down this afternoon father let me warn you bob's a cool customer but i've been praying and the sisters said they'd pray when the priest asked how much he had seen of anderson tom replied perhaps too much then father george learned of all that had transpired upstairs since the three men had been housed under the one roof there was a trace of bitterness in penny's tone as he told of the lawyers anderson had been able to hire he and baxter had to take what the court offered but bob had the service of w clark odie and s rush nicholson of louisville from notes anderson had sent him it was evident to tom what line of defense these attorneys were preparing to follow he tom penny was the key to the whole situation and plenty of pressure was being brought to bear directly and indirectly to have him turn in their direction he looked a bit worried as he said we'll be tried in about two weeks and i'm to be the main witness the papers say you'll have separate trials tom that's right and i'm sure park the prosecuting attorney will use me against bob then against baxter finally against myself it's not a pleasant spot to be in father i hate rats as much as anyone both anderson and baxter will think i'm letting them down that i'm squealing that i'm a rat don't worry father the only one i'll really let down is myself the priest looked puzzled so tom quickly added i won't let god down and that's all that matters isn't it that's all tom well pray father that i'll have a clear head on that stand i'm in for a beating from all the lawyers both bob's and the state's so pray i'll send bob down now one of the books you gave me says we write our own final sentence and god merely pronounces what we have written i'm afraid bob's not writing the right way father so do all you can okay roger he called to the guard outside the door and the key was turned 
Five minutes later there entered a smooth-shaven, rather well-groomed, chunky man. He said suavely, This must be Father George. I'm Bob Anderson. Tom's been telling me all you've done for him, and thinks I can be helped, too. A few questions showed the priest he was talking with a fairly intelligent man, though the suavity in the soft voice and the ingratiating smile and gestures spoke both of superficiality and artificiality. He would do all he could for this man's soul, but from the outset he saw that the headlong cooperation with God's grace, the full surrender of self to the truth, that had marked Penny's capitulation, were not in Bob Anderson. Father George tried the same technique told Bob to pray and read the books he had given to Tom, but felt the careful reserve in the core of the man, even as he outwardly acquiesced, not only graciously, but even with a show of gratitude and enthusiasm. It was already late when Bob came in, so Father George had to excuse himself, but promised to be back before the end of the week. Then he wished Anderson all the luck in the world. "'Looks as if I'll need it,' was Bob's only reference to his plight. Two weeks later, on December 8th, the trial of Bob Anderson began. The day was consumed in challenges, but as night fell, a jury was impaneled, and at 7.45 p.m., Tom Penny mounted the witness stand. It was 10.20 when he came down, very tired, but conscious of an inner feeling of triumph. He had not let God down. He had kept his promise to Father George. In a clear, clipped voice, he had told the hatching of the plot to rob, then the execution of that plot with its unplanned, unexpected, unwanted denouement. W. Cluck Odie, the defense attorney, questioned him for an hour and a half, and though he had used every trick and tactic known to the skillful lawyer, he had been unable to shake Tom in his testimony. Slyly he attacked Tom's character in order to destroy his value as a witness. Why did you change the story you had told at Fort Worth? When you were returned to Lexington, why did you implicate Baxter only when you got back here? On reading the question, Father George saw all that it implied, and feared for Tom's reply. But then his eyes fell on the answer his neophyte had given. This crime's bad enough. No use having a lie on your soul, too. And the priest thrilled. The next attack was on Tom's motive. Insinuation was not enough here, so Odie came out boldly with, Have you any hope for a life sentence? The entire force of detectives believed that Penny had confessed with that in the back of his head. Most people in Lexington thought the same. But Chief Price had told the boy down in Fort Worth that he would promise him nothing. He marveled now at Penny's resignation and full acceptance of his situation as he answered, No, I have no hope. The brevity and finality in the reply shocked the courtroom to closer attention. What surprised all was that there was no hopelessness in the voice. Price caught the paradox and knew its explanation. Silently he blessed God and Father George Donnelly. But Odie took the attention of all as he introduced notes which Penny admitted to be his. One read, Bob Anderson was not in Lexington, September 27th. Another told how he, Tom Penny, had stolen Anderson's two-tone Buick sedan. If the judge, jury, and audience were surprised at the nature of the evidence, they were more surprised at Tom Penny's reaction. He was laughing, not derisively, not sarcastically, just amusedly. 
that's my writing he said those are my notes but that is not my composition they are but copies of the notes of instruction thrown to me by the defendant while we were here in jail together for another hour odie went on with questions whose purpose was not to clear his client but to discredit this witness it was not a pleasant hour and a half for tom penny henry miller took him for re-examination another hour went by under a barrage of questions whose answers would condemn not only bob anderson but the very man who was making them tom penny knew it he became monosyllabic but he kept on telling the truth it was after midnight when the prisoners were returned to their cells tom was thinking of a line he had written to his mother just two weeks before life is beautiful even in jail he didn't feel that way about it right now bob had spoken but one word as he was led past to his cell but it held volumes it held tom felt the verdict of the entire world the word was rat tired as he was penny could not sleep the faces of odie nicholson parker and miller swam before him their questions and his answers echoed and re-echoed but it was the face of bob anderson that puzzled him most bob had sat through it all chewing gum and smiling confidently what could his lawyers have concocted after the testimony of the night it would have to be something most unusual to impress the jury the restless night passed the morning brought the paper and tom was relieved to find that the sneak attack of the japs on pearl harbor had all but crowded him and the trial off the front page as soon as he had eaten and shaved he took pencil and paper and wrote dear mother just a line to let you know i am okay hoping you are too well mother i guess you've seen the papers that was the hardest thing i ever did but there was no alternative i had to tell the truth and i am not sorry just try to bear it whatever the outcome i won't be tried until next monday and mother if you only knew how this thing has changed me you would not worry half so much i know you are going to worry that is natural to any mother and anything i say seems so small i just can't express my regret mother all i can say is if i do go i'll go to a better world so try to look at it that way charlie came by saturday and brought me some cigarettes i know how hard it is for anyone to come here sister mary laurentia and robert ann from the hospital were here saturday afternoon they certainly have been good they want to go to see you again guess they will too tell everyone hello and keep your chin up he was not tried on monday for anderson's case consumed a week on tuesday the jury learned that only one bullet came from the thirty-eight the gun penny used yet both victims had been shot more than once tom saw that they were pointing the case toward bob but also saw that his lawyers could use all this matter to point the case away from him he hoped they were on the alert on wednesday the guns were traced to anderson with unimpeachable evidence thursday the case was closed and when park the prosecutor climaxed his case with tom's testimony and closed with penny has been promised nothing this crime is so terrible that everybody connected with it should pay with their lives tom knew what he could expect when he came to be tried the jury was out almost twenty-four hours one of their number was holding out for a life sentence instead of death in the electric chair 
but finally at nine thirty p m on friday the twelfth the verdict was given bob anderson was found guilty of the miley murders and his sentence was death in the electric chair on monday the state prosecuted raymond baxter again tom penny was the star witness he told how baxter had hatched the plot saying there would be between three and ten thousand dollars at the club promising to cut the wires open the doors and see to it that no one was around but one old lady delmer howard cross-examined tom for an hour and a half but accomplished no more than w clark odie had the previous week penny was telling the truth and no one could shake him when harry miller took him for the prosecution tom furnished one of the few laughs of the trial among the routine opening questions the attorney asked was the one where do you live tom smiled and asked now the courtroom rippled with appreciation miller colored and corrected himself ah er before you were confined the case carried over until tuesday when park summing up admitted that baxter was not guilty of murder physically but was guilty of it morally tom knew what his own trial would be like the jury was out only two hours its verdict was guilty and the sentence death in the electric chair tom's trial began the next day the courtroom was crowded as never before in the entire case tom scanned the crowd anxiously then breathed with relief he had espied his sister and knew that the family was loyal but he saw that his mother was not there she had heeded his plea not to come a jury was impaneled and soon penny found himself again on the stand there was no need for long questioning tom had confessed at fort worth again at lexington when returned there and lately in each of the two trials park asked why he had testified against anderson and baxter to satisfy my own conscience more than anything else when did your conscience first bother you when it happened at the country club that was too favorable a bit of testimony tom penny was appearing at his best so park shifted his ground it would never do to allow the jury to grow sympathetic or entertain favorable opinions of the defendant park would inform the jury indirectly of the sentence they were to pass so he asked penny do you think the death penalty justified in the cases of baxter and anderson but tom was not to be caught so easily i don't believe in the death penalty he replied i never have once again park felt himself checkmated but he knew the sentiment of the town and felt reasonably sure that the jury shared it so he quickly concluded his case and turned the defendant back to his attorneys martin summed up his case in exactly twenty-six minutes in those circumstances he did about the only thing possible he showed tom's worth as a witness for this purpose he had called chief price and guy Maupin to the stand from their testimony it was patent that tom penny had broken the case not only for the police but for the state next two jurors from each of the preceding trials were summoned and made to tell the court how tom penny's evidence had enabled each jury to reach a decision even harry miller was put on the stand and made to admit that practically speaking tom penny had prosecuted the entire case from beginning to end for the state of kentucky it was a good case as good as possible in the face of the open confessions tom had made martin insisted that the penalty for robbery was not death 
but the jury knew tom penny was not being tried for mere robbery his was not only the shortest of the three trials but his jury was quickest in arriving at a verdict it was out just fifty-one minutes at eleven eighteen that morning it filed back to the courtroom and tom penny's fate was sealed death in the electric chair that afternoon was still young when he was writing i am sorry mother that i brought all this sorrow heartache and suffering to you i guess you know how i feel about it i'm glad you didn't come to the trial for your own sake just rest easy now mother and please don't worry the lawyers did everything possible but it just wasn't enough but have no fears mother i'll never die for a crime i did not commit as the mother read the letter she wondered how much of it the boy believed she thrilled to his line about not dying for a crime he had not committed from all she had read and all she had heard she knew it was unquestionably true that while tom was a robber he was not a murderer so even if he did go to death for the murders of marion and mrs miley she could hold in her heart the truth that the child to whom she had given life had sent neither of these women to their death three days later she received a letter that had the spirit of christmas in it a spirit of exultant life peace and joy it was dated december twenty first and read dear mother i am about to tell you something that should please you very much father donnelly just baptized me so i've got a clean slate mother i feel so much better and i know that from now on life will be very different mrs penny's gray head came up tears sparkled in her eyes oh god she prayed how good to have tom talking of life when he has just been sentenced to death a mile away three people were talking about the same man and had used almost the identical words father george donnelly had just said to sisters mary laurentia and robert ann i waited purposely until he had been sentenced to death so that i could reverse the judge's sentence and sentence him to birth and a far different life we saw him yesterday exclaimed sister robert ann and never have we seen a happier man he told us how father sullivan had given him his first holy communion and added sister mary laurentia more calmly he showed us the scapular medal father sullivan had given him no soldier could be prouder of his decoration sister robert ann clasped her hands think of it father he said to me sister i have been condemned to death but never was i so happy in my life last night i slept for the first time in a month i met his sister this morning said sister mary laurentia and in all seriousness she told me she feared that tom was losing his mind when i asked her why she said because he laughs and jokes and appears as happy as a schoolboy sisters said father george in a judge-like tone i think tom penny has lost his mind i'm sure he has in fact we can say in all truth that tom penny died last sunday afternoon that is tom penny the criminal and a new tom penny was born i've converted other people sisters that is god used me as his instrument in other cases i've baptized adults but i've never come across anything like this penny affair in all my life grace has been palpable that visitor's room in fayette county jail will always be the antechamber to heaven to me after my hours there with tom penny 
Father George looked away for a moment, then resumed with, Ever since I left the jail Sunday afternoon, I have been meditating, I think you can call it that, meditating on the words of St. Paul. He writes grippingly of death and life when he writes of baptism. That is why I can say I have already executed the sentence of the court. I have put Tom Penny the man, a judge guilty of murder, to death. I have even buried him. But since both death and burial were, in Christ Jesus, Tom Penny has risen to a newness of life. The priest paused, then continued slowly, Never, never did I understand that passage so clearly. If we have died with Christ, says St. Paul, we believe that we shall also live together with Christ. There, sisters, is our prayer from now on for Tom Penny, that he live to God in Christ Jesus. End of chapter 4